Oh, yes, all aboard. It's the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. This is the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, where we bring you everything from high school sports, NCAA, NFL, NBA, HBCU. It's the train that is building up ahead of steam. So grab your tickets, get on board, enjoy the ride, and let this train take you on a sports journey. It's the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. Let's get this train on the track. Welcome to the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Sorry, no bells and whistles. Good thing about this is I can do this podcast on the go, wherever I'm at. Whenever I find the content, I just go and roll with the punches. So right now, I am not in what I would call my studio. But none the best, nonetheless, shall I say, I have a good show on hand for you. Trust me, it's good. Some stuff you want to hear. I know we're coming up on the football season, but the NBA season is never quiet. And we know that there's a lot of drama going on between within the 76ers organization. That'd be the Philadelphia 76ers. Centered around one James Harden. But now, in the midst of James Harden wanting out, calling the team president, Dale Morey, a liar, the question is, did James Harden and the 76ers circumvent the salary cap last summer? Because I think, personally, that is why come things went to hell in a handbasket real quick between the Sixers and James Harden, more specifically, Daryl Morey. And James Harden. Anyway, James Harden called Dale Morey a liar. If Harden is referring to last summer's contract, the Sixers could be in trouble. As James, as Sham Sharania reported, said James Harden, Dale Morey is a liar, and I will never be a part of an organization that he's a part of. Let me say that again: Dale Morey is a liar, and I will never be a part of an organization that he's. A part of. I don't know if you can hear that, but that was a sound bite from one James Harden talking about Dale Morey. Harden told an audience in China that Morey was a liar, but he didn't specify what Maury lied to him about. The Beard could be talking about his decision to opt into his contract for 2023-24. It 
In June, ESPN reported that Harden decided with president of basketball operations, Daryl Morey, that they would start working on a way to move Harden. Since then, other NBA executives have described the Sixers asking price for Harden as unreasonable, leading to the stalemate therein. If Murray truly isn't making trade offers in good faith, that could explain Harden's accusation. But if he's talking about last summer, then the Sixers could be vulnerable to an NBA investigation. Harden opted out of his contract last June and signed for $14 million less. There is nothing illegal about that unless the 76ers promised or even implied a quid pro quo, an agreement that they take care of Harden this summer in exchange for his financial sacrifice. Then it's a big violation. The most famous example of cap circumventation occurred when Joe Smith, signed a series of small deals with the Minnesota Timberwolves with the promise of a max contract later. When the NBA discovered the illegal deal, they fined Minnesota $3.5 million and their next five first-round picks and suspended both the GM and team owner for a year. It doesn't matter if Philadelphia didn't end up signing Harden in the end. The Milwaukee Bucks lost a second-round pick for tampering in a Bogdan Bogdanovich signing a trade that never ended up happening. More recently, the Sixers lost two second-round picks for tampering with P.J. Tucker and Daniel House Jr. last summer. While there's only Harden's word to support the idea of cap shenanigans, that could be enough for the NBA to investigate. And if they find any secret arrangements or illegal communications, then a disgruntled all-star may be the only start of Philadelphia's problems. So there's talk that James Harden may also have leverage on the Sixers. So what is this leverage? Well, James Harden is in open war with Dale Morey in the 76ers. It's a war he thinks he can win. Two days after the Sixers announced they were trade, they were ending trade talks on Harden, Harden took to the offensive, calling Philadelphia's team president a liar and announcing he'd never play for him. Then he rode a moped around a basketball court in China. That wasn't just a lighthearted display. Harden is flaunting the rules in the new CBA, specifically the section prohibiting driving or riding on a motorcycle or moped or four-wheeling off-roading of any kind. But it's very unlikely that the 76ers will impose any discipline, at least if they truly want Harden to play for them next season. That's the predicament facing Maury and the Sixers. When Ben Simmons asked for a trade in 2021, the Sixers let him sit out, finding him and waiting until nearly the deadline before trading him for Harden. But they also had more options to replace Simmons with Tyrese Maxey, Shake Milton, and Seth Curry to spell him at guard, plus George Niang, Matisse Thibault, and Danny Green on the wing. Now, there's simply... There's simply... Not much depth. 
After Maxie and DeAnthony Melton, there's a steep drop-off to 35-year-old Patrick Beverly at guard. At forward, their top backups are Furkin, Korkmaz, and Daniel House Jr. That's simply not much offense off the bench. Even if center Mo Bamba really is prepared to play power forward, and the Eastern Conference is much tougher than it was two years ago. They're also trying to get a new arena. This standoff can't possibly be helping their cause. It's unlikely Harden will sit out like Simmons did. No, he'll show up, but badmouth the GM publicly, party, or simply not play hard, all skirting the boundaries of acceptable player behavior. Not only is that easy for Harden by now, he's having fun with it. While Harden does need to sign a new contract next year, would forcing a third trade in three years really lower his value more than the first two did? Based on his lack of offers this summer, that ship may have already sailed. But the biggest reason Harden has more leverage than his team can be explained with three letters, MVP. Joel Embiid is coming off his fifth second round playoff loss in six years. He's already spoken about his desire to win a championship, whether it's in Philly or elsewhere. Hmm. Him and Jimmy Butler have quite the relationship, quiet as it's kept. But we're not going to elaborate on that right now. But here's that quote. He says, I just want to win a championship, whatever it takes. I don't know where that's going to be, whether it's in Philly or anywhere else. I just want to have a chance. The pressure is officially on the Sixers to capitalize on their win now. Does the big man really want to go through another season where his best teammate is sitting out because he's fighting with the boss? Embiid's recent social media activity hints that he's unhappy with the current situation. Removing Philadelphia as his location and removing processing a nod the Sixers trust the process slogan. The Sixers could have two max salary slots for free agents next summer, but they might have a disgruntled MVP who wants to trade and a team president who has openly fought with two of his last three max players. They might want to revisit the trade talks with Harden before he decides to start riding a hoverboard. So there you have the situation that's going on in Philadelphia right now. So who do you side with? Do you side with James Harden? Do you side with the Sixers? Is there some illegal stuff going on? Well, that's not it. Seems like James Harden got some people on his side. As stated right here, P.J. Tucker, we can pull that up, appears to defend James Harden amid feud with Sixers. And you know in situations like this, most times the player is not by itself. There will always be somebody 
that will side with their teammate. So we're going to keep a close eye on this situation, especially Philadelphia itself, because they could be in some hot water. But here is that story about P.J. Tucker. Everything is going wrong for the Philadelphia 76ers. Yes, everything that can go wrong will go wrong. There's been little movement during the free agency period. James Harden has requested a trade with the Sixers, appear unwillingly to accommodate. And then on August 14th, Daryl Morey found himself being branded a liar by Harden in a video that went viral across social media. Given Harden's petulance, nobody would have expected some of his teammates to show their support for his situation. However, that's exactly what veteran forward P.J. Tucker seemed to do on Instagram. Tucker joined the 76ers last summer as part of the team's retooling in hopes of contending for a championship. Tucker and Harden have a history together, having been teammates on the Houston Rockets between 2017 and 2020 as such. If there was ever going to be a member of the 76ers roster to support Harden's current position, it was going to be Tucker. Nevertheless, Tucker's decision to publicly back his friend is just another sign of the deepening issues within the Sixers organization, a team that entered the 2022-23 season with hopes of lifting a championship will now be happy just to keep the roster intact. The bigger worry is whether the latest trade saga has disillusioned Joel Embiid, who wants nothing more than to compete for a championship while in his prime. The Sixers are supposed to be a genuine contender in the Eastern Conference this year. In truth, they may find themselves starting the process all over again. Embiid deserves better than what is currently happening in Philadelphia, but neither Harden nor Murray has shown any willingness to back down from their current stance. Just like when Ben Simmons a few years ago, the Harden situation threatens to derail a promising season before a ball has even been bounced. Sixers are free-falling and there doesn't appear to be a parachute in sight. The saga continues that is Daryl Morey and James Harden and the effect that it's having on Philadelphia as a whole. Anyway, this is the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Your host and your conductor, Anthony Smith. I'm going to take a break. When I come back, I will have some more for you. So don't you go nowhere. Please stay seated till the ride is done. It's the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Need a haircut? Do like me. Go to 256 North Defeat. Midtown Barbershop. Two seasoned veteran barbers on duty. Malcolm Tony. Whatever you need done, they can do it. You may walk in one way, but by the time they get through, you'll walk out looking like brand new money. That's it. Midtown Barbershop. In the heart of the city. 
with the city at heart. Tony and Malcolm, Midtown Barbershop. Tell them the A-Train sent you. Welcome back to the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. As we inch closer and closer to the college football season, a story has popped up, and I guess you can put a little bit of shame on this, but disgraced former Northwestern head coach Pat Fitzgerald to volunteer as high school coach. Not get hired, but volunteered. Fitzgerald is said to have gone through multiple pieces of training as well as a background check as part of his role as a volunteer. And as we look into this, ex-Northwestern athletes condemn hazing and defend culture. Pushing back on the narrative of hazing, and harassment at Northwestern. More than 1,000 former athletes at the university signed a letter defending the culture and the sports programs, with more than 10 lawsuits alleging multiple forms of hazing and harassment. Athletes from all varsity sports were included to a, included in a formal letter sent to the school. In addition, the Wildcats football program lawsuits against the Big Ten college include one volleyball player and also three former baseball staffers who claim they were let go as retaliation for reporting misconduct. Northwestern President Michael Schill categorized the football team culture as broken when he amended a suspension for head coach Pat Fitzgerald and fired the longtime coach in July. The letter, signed by 277 former football players and at least 10 ex-players, from all varsity sports includes hundreds of student athletes who weren't part of the football program or at the university during Fitzgerald's tenure. The athletes condemn hazing in any form while undergoing while underscoring they felt the positive influence of the athletics culture. Graduates dating to the 1950s and as recent as 2022 were included and claimed to experience a culture that fosters excellence in sports, academics, and community development. Interim football coach David Braun took over the team a month ago. He said he's being cautious with off-field activities but has also allowed current players to express their opinions about the events that led to the coaching change. We've had an opportunity to go through extensive education when it comes to hazing as a team and as a staff. That education will continue, Braun said. We're being very mindful of making sure that we find ways to allow this team to build and become cohesive and have fun in team meetings with music, making sure that this isn't an environment where it's just business. This team needs to come together. ESPN shared an excerpt of the letter that reads, The allegations being made are troubling and we support the university's effort to fully investigate these claims. However, these allegations do not represent or define the overall athletics culture at Northwestern. 
The letter offers support for athletes who experienced hazing while attempting to make clear such behavior wasn't considered commonplace on the Evansville, Illinois campus. We strongly affirm the positive experience we had at Northwestern and if offered, would do it all over again, the letter reads. And back to this Pat Fitzgerald story though. Pat Fitzgerald lands a new role after Northwest firing. Longtime Northwestern coach Pat Fitzgerald has a new role after he was fired over allegations of hazing within the football program. Fitzgerald is serving as a volunteer assistant, not even a head coach, but an assistant, had to go through background check just to be a volunteer assistant for the Loyola Academy High School football team according to Joe Coughlin of the North Shore Record. Two of Fitzgerald's children attend the school and a third has already graduated. Loyola Academy confirmed in a statement that Fitzgerald passed a background check and signed a code of conduct agreement in order to take the role. The statement said parent assistants like Fitzgerald help with game day management, logistics, offering fresh insight, etc. Fitzgerald was fired in July over new allegations of hazing within the football program that took place on his watch. The former coach has denied knowledge of the hazing and has signed that he intends to sue the university over his departure. So I got a feeling that this story is going to pick up some more steam, just like the A-Train Sports Talk podcast. Anyway, there are some rivalries, and some of those rivalries may come in question with the alignment if those rivalries will continue. But college football does have some of the best rivalries. And here go some of the best rivalries in college football. I'm not going to put a number on it, even though the article has a number on it. But perhaps the best part of each college football season is the collection of rivalries that feature rabbit fans, packed stadiums, and hot tempers on the field. Starting toward the end of November, it's all about the rivalries with cool trophies and funny names. Here's a ranking of the top 25 college football rivalries currently and the ones that most would like to see start up again. Number 25, Illinois versus Purdue. These schools play for the famed Old Oaken Bucket each season. Though neither program has been in contention for a Big Ten title in recent years, it's still one of the most storied and respected rivalries in all of sports. The Hoosiers and Boilermakers first met in 1891. Purdue holds a significant lead in the series, 74-41-6, and, and has won the last two meetings. Number 24, DePaul versus Wabash. We're going to stay in the state of Indiana, but drop down to Division Three. Each year, DePaul's Tigers face Wabash's Little Giants. Hey, that sounds like a movie, doesn't it? With the Monon Bell on the line, the 300-pound locomotive bell has gone to the victor of each game since 1932. Though these schools first met in 1890, Wabash holds a slight edge 
in the series thanks to victories in nine of the last 10 meetings. Number 23, Lafayette versus Lehigh. Simply known as the rivalry, these FCS schools located less than 20 miles apart in Pennsylvania's Lehigh Valley started taking on each other in 1884, thus reportedly making it the most played matchup between schools in all of college football. Though Lafayette leads the series 78, 71, and 5, Lehigh has won four in a row in nine of the last 11 get-togethers. Number 22, Iowa versus Iowa State. This interstate rivals went from 1935 to 1976 without playing each other. But this has been a regular matchup since 1977. While Iowa has won the last four meetings in the series, we put it on this list because both teams have reason to feel good about things in 2019. When the schools met in Ames on September 14th, it might have the makings of a memorable affair. Minnesota versus Wisconsin. It's always a spirited contest when Paul Bunyan's axe is on the line. However, we have a feeling things could get ratcheted up for the next installment, at least from the Wisconsin side. The Badgers' 14-game winning streak in the rivalry ended last season when P.J. Flex Gophers rode the boat into Madison and shipped out with a decisive 37-15 victory to get their hands on the axe for the first time since 2003. Number 20, Clemson versus South Carolina. Obviously a big deal in, to the good folks of South Carolina. This rivalry has been rather streaky since the 2009 season. That year, the Gamecocks won what would be the first of five straight over the Tigers. However, Clemson has returned the favor by winning five in a row and the last three by a combined 146-52. to 52. Number 19, I'm going to take a break after this. Oklahoma versus Oklahoma State. Who doesn't love them some bedlam? Fans of Oklahoma and Oklahoma State football certainly do. This series has, gone, has some great history that includes players diving into a creek to recover the ball, the mafia fixing games, and plenty of high-scoring shootouts. About the only thing that has dampened this series is Oklahoma's dominance, 88, 18, and 7. The Sooners have won four in a row in 14 of the last 16 matchups. However, let me say it like this. When OSU beat OU, I believe it was year before last, what happened after that? Well, they coach, some of the coaching staff, and some of the players, mainly Caleb Williams. Said we going out west. And since then, the folks in Oklahoma have labeled him Tebow, which stands for that boy out west. Now y'all translate what that means. Anyway, I am going to take a break right here. When I come back, I'll give you some more of this list on the A Train Sports Talk Podcast. Your host and conductor. Anthony Smith.
saying stay seated till the ride is over. Mr. Max Market, formerly known as P&P Seed and Babe, is fully stocked for all your pet needs. We carry Victor, Bully Max, Diamond Value Pack, and many more brands. In addition, we carry collars, chains, and any pet supplies you may need including grooming supplies and dog shots. Make sure to like us on social media. To the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, your host and conductor. And we're looking at the top 25 college football rivalries. We stopped at 19, so we give you number 18 now, which you may find very interesting. This one is BYU versus Utah. This is dubbed the Holy War in reference to both schools having several members who are part of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The teams even met in the 2015 Las Vegas Bowl, which became known as the Holy War in Sin City. Utah leads series 61-34-4 and and has won the last meetings, eight meetings. Number 17, Michigan versus Michigan State. Remember Mike Hart's little brother comment regarding Michigan State from a few years back? It's still kind of true considering Michigan leads the series by a record of 70-36-15. After the Spartans won three straight from 2013 through 15, the Wolverines claim two of the last three meetings and will host this year's version in Ann Arbor. Number 16, Michigan versus Notre Dame. Sticking with the Wolverines, this is one rivalry of which they do not hold the advantage overall or of late. The Wolverines lead 24-17-1. and in the all-time series with Notre Dame, but the Irish have won the last two meetings. After the teams play this year in Ann Arbor, the series will again go on hiatus. It's always disappointing that these schools can't find a way to make it a point to play each other every year. 15, Washington versus Washington State. And let me also give you my disclaimer as you are listening at this. Some of these records, some of this information I'm giving you is really not up to date. So if this sounds kind of off because we know that Michigan made their way to the college football Final Four last year. So as I'm giving you this information, I'm also looking at it. I'm like, okay, a little bit outdated, but oh, well, you know, still good content. Still good content, which leads me into number 15, Washington versus Washington State. Apple Cup might be the best rivalry on the West Coast from the standpoint that both schools are among the best in the Pac-10. Of course, Washington has had its way in recent years during the rivalry that began in 1900. The Huskies have won six in a row by an average margin of almost 22 points. Still, the history and longevity of this series makes it pretty special. And the two teams that will be going to the Big Ten 14, USC versus UCLA. One day the battle for Los Angeles is going to mean something again. 
We just don't know when because both teams are far from national championship contenders. Well, that's not quite true. Not only is USC a national title contender, they also have a possible repeat Heisman Trophy winner. And even earned a bowl bid has been a chore of late. USC had won three straight in the series until UCLA scored 13 unanswered fourth quarter points to win 34-27 last season, whatever last season was in the game. That was actually quite entertaining. Number 13, Texas versus Texas a and It's too bad this rivalry has been put on hiatus since 2011 due to the Aggies leaving the Big 12 for the SEC. Reportedly, there has been talk of trying to revive the rivalry starting early in the next decade, but thus far nothing has been agreed upon. Prior to the series being halted, the Longhorns had won three of four and lead 76-37-5 all the time. Safe bet to say since Texas is going to the SEC, Texas a and want to be the only Texas school in the SEC, this is a safe bet to say rivalry renewed. Pittsburgh versus West Virginia. Bad news first. Backyard brawl between Pitt and West Virginia has not been played since 2011 when the Mountaineers won their third straight in the series. Here's the good news. The rivalry will start up again in 2022. Okay, that's still a ways to wait, but we know it's coming, and it will be wild, heated, and fun for more than just the fan bases of both schools. Pitt leads with the record of 61-40-3 over West Virginia. Number 11. Florida versus Florida State. Since 2001, the Gators and Seminoles have split their 18 meetings. Now, that's a rivalry. Of course, it wasn't like the teams were alternating victories. Florida won six in a row from 2004 to 2009, and Florida State took five straight before the Gators ended the fun and the Seminoles' lengthy bowl run with last year's 41-14 route at Gainesville. At the moment, it's about the Gators, but FSU should be hungry. Number 10, Cal and Stanford. It goes by a few different names. The play, the Stanford band play. That does not matter. But this is one rivalry that will forever be defined by one game and arguably the most improbable finish ever in college football. We're long since removed from that remarkable 1982 afternoon in Berkeley, but the rivalry is still pretty intense. Stanford, though, leads 64-46-11 in the all-time series of the big game and has won nine in a row. Harvard versus Yale, number nine. The game has been going strong since 1875. It's the one day of the school year when academics truly don't come first at these hollow Ivy League institutions. The game day traditions at both schools are as much a part of the season finale contest as the on-field matchup itself. While Yale owns a 67-60-8 advantage in the all-time series, Harvard has won 15 of the last 18. Number eight, Notre Dame versus USC. This rivalry is more about history than anything else, especially since the last five matchups have not been all that close. Though SC did lead 10-0 in last year's meeting before losing 24-17, the 
These are still two of the most storied programs that make it a point to play each other every year and treat the rivalry with respect the way it ought to be. Number seven, Florida State versus Miami. One reason this rivalry ranks high on the list is because for years the caliber of star players on the field at the same time was like a future Pro Bowl from various wide right wide right or left to Miami's impressive 2018 comeback from 27-7 down. The Seminoles and Hurricanes continue to thrill. Miami holds a slight edge in the all-time series. Number six, Mississippi versus Mississippi State. The rivalry game known as the Egg Bowl was first played in 1901 and is one of the longest uninterrupted such contests in college football history. Neither team is keen on the other, and that includes players, coaches, fans, anybody. It's also a Thanksgiving week or weekend staple. The Rebels lead the all-time series 62-45-6, but it has been relatively close with Mississippi State holding a 12-11 advantage beginning with the 1996 season. Number five, world's largest cocktail party. Georgia versus Florida, with Jacksonville, Florida as the setting, one of the best scenes in all of college football happens when the Bulldogs and Gators meet each season. Oh, the name is no longer officially used, the world's largest outdoor cocktail party, is the perfect description for the atmosphere and experience that is a Georgia-Florida football game. On the field, Georgia's won the last two meetings after Florida dominated for years. However, with both teams expected to challenge for the SEC division title, this year's installment should be something special. Number four, Alabama versus Auburn. It's simple. Nobody on either side of the Iron Bowl robbery likes anybody associated with the other. The heated nature of this series has gone behind the football field and shown just how misguided sports fans in general can be and to what lengths they will go to support their teams. The schools have met 85 times on the field with Alabama leading the series 47-37 to 37 with one tie. Oklahoma versus Texas. The atmosphere at the Cotton Bowl during the Texas State Fair in October is the perfect backdrop for the Red River Showdown. It used to be called Shootout at one time until the PC culture got a hold. That means politically correct. It's even better when both teams are good. That's been the case the last two years and should be again. Last season was extra special with these rivals also meeting in the Big 12 championship game. Let's hope we get a repeat of 2019. Number two, Michigan versus Ohio State. This is another rivalry where the teams and their respective fans just don't like each other. Mm, I can't stand you. I can't stand you either. Billy Mitchell, get out of my face. Wait till we play out on the field. Anyway, <laughs> while it's not quite as heated as, say, the Iron Bowl, it's still that one game each team is expected to win. Of late, it's all Ohio State. Except for the last two years, it's been Michigan finally getting it. Buckeye off their back. Slate to be the year Michigan showed up and ended its series slide. Instead, Jim Harbaugh's guys were blasted 62-39 by the Buckeye. The Wolverines should not be taken seriously until they are able to beat Ohio State again. And number one, 
game that garners national media, national attention, the game that we all lay our differences aside and show these men respect. Army versus Navy is perhaps the one rivalry where records truly don't matter and respect is abound. Pageantry, emotion, and tradition displayed annually between these two service academies are always something to be seen. Navy leads the series 60-52 with seven ties, but Army has won the last three meetings by a combined 12 points. Then again, after watching the effort put forth by both teams, it's easy to see why this rivalry is about more than just football. And to that, we salute them young men and say thank you for what you do for this country beyond the football field. Hope you have enjoyed the A Train Sports Talk podcast as much as I as much as I've enjoyed being your conductor. Until the next time, take care of yourself and each other. God bless. <laughs>